Jeff doesn't need any introduction, so I'm not going to go on at length about him, but I just, I just want to say when Annika found out last night that Jeff was preaching, she was excited. She came home from camp and it's like, if Ben can't be here, Jeff is like the next best. It's like, I'd say they're at even, even plateau. Just, it's just wonderful to have you here, Jeff. And I don't know if I've said it before, but, or I maybe have, but if you look up the word joy in the dictionary, it should have his picture beside it. Like I just see, even in adversity, Jeff just exemplifies joy, the joy of knowing the Lord. And he loves Jesus passionately. And I don't know if I know anybody who loves, or is more excited about sharing the gospel with others and seeing people come to Jesus as much as Jeff. So. Um, Jeff, come on up. I'll pray for you here, and then we'll let you share with us what God's given you. God, thank you for Jeff, for bringing him with us to us this morning. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come on him powerfully, that, and that you would speak to each one of us through him. Uh, give him the words that you want us to hear, and I pray that you would move us. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to stir our hearts, take us in directions that maybe we aren't prepared for, but you want us to go in. I pray that he would be obedient to your leading. Uh, Lord, I also want to lift up uh, his wife, Jannie. Pray for, her, for healing over her. Lord, we just ask that you would touch her body and bring her back to original strength. Um, guide him now as he brings the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's just so... Oh, yeah, I guess I should wait till you say good morning back. <laughs> um, it's just so great to be here again this morning. We're, I, I absolutely love coming to your, to, I feel like it's sort of like my church, my church away from church. Um, I, Janny and I both wanted to say how thankful we are for your friendship, for your love, for your prayers, for your support, for, for everything. And what God's doing here, we're just so encouraged and there's so many great friends that we have here and I just look forward to opening the Word of God to you, and um, I want to speak this morning. I want to sort of continue on. Uh, a while back, I spoke on prayer, and I felt like I didn't get as, you know, if you've ever preached, it's the most frustrating thing you could ever do. You know, you're trying to tell people how great God is and try to open up this book. Nobody can do that. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit too. Uh, but there was things, and there's been things in the last few weeks that have spoke to my heart, and I'd like to sort of continue on with that prayer or with that sermon. And so it'll be this morning. We'll be on spiritual warfare, and I feel like your this church is definitely one of those churches that stands in the gap. And so I want to speak on spiritual warfare, the battle that we're in. And where prayer is really, someone said, we don't pray for the work. Prayer is the work. And it's such a huge part in the spiritual battle that we're in. So I'd like to start out, of course, if you're going to talk about spiritual warfare, we've got to read uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to read several passages of the Bible that hopefully will bring some light. I, I like the Bible to explain it, and I can say a few words, but... There is definitely a spiritual battle going on in this world. And it's way bigger and more way more important than the physical battle. Because it's the battle for souls. And so in here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul here says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That is the key to spiritual battle. 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We cannot win this battle, but he can. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he's saying here, we're not, it's not a physical battle. There is a physical battle. But I love the way Joel always says, there's, there's checkers and then there's chess, and there, there is a huge battle going on. And the way that this battle, the way that Satan battles, we see this later in this passage. We read this passage where it says, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That is how he battles. He shoots fiery darts of lies. This battle, his weapons are lies. The Bible says he's the father of lies. And if you look at history, you look at all, there's, there's the Antichrist, that's him. But there are many, the Bible even says with small a Antichrist, many who've come and they're doing his work and you see, when you see someone who has power over people and who leads people and nations down wrong paths, their weapons are lies. It always goes to other weapons too. But lies are the most dangerous. That's why this is the truth. And if you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And know there doesn't mean just knowing it in your head. But Satan his desire is to keep you from the truth of God's word. And not just, he doesn't care if you know it. Well, he does care that. If, if, if you have to know it, you can know it. But if, as long as you don't do it, as long, as long as you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, as long as you don't follow his way, God's way. So his desire, he knows that the truth will set you free. And the truth is found in Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to keep you from that. And he wants to blind you. And he shoots these fiery darts. And the shield of faith can block them. And sometimes when we have loved ones who are not walking in faith, we can, as his church, hold up the shields of faith and click them together as those Roman soldiers did. When all the fiery darts would come from off the wall in the battle, they'd, they'd, there'd be a command and all the, the, the weak and wounded would be under, and they'd click these shields together and hold them up so that when the fiery darts hit, they'd bounce off. And you need to know that that's his, that is his way. It, it says here <clears throat> that the fiery darts, it, it, it says that we're to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I'm a very simple person, but you know, if, you're, if you're old enough, when you used to watch the, the, the Coyote and, and Roadrunner, <clears throat> and if you ever saw him go back to his workshop where he would be planning these ways to catch the Roadrunner, and it, on his door it said, Will E. Coyote, Wiley Coyote. And the whole show was just all the wiles of this coyote. He had tricks, he had plans, he had ways. And that's the way I understand wiles. And it's not silly, this one. He's a roaring lion and he knows how to get you. And he knows how to even turn nations. It's not a silly thing. This is very, very, very serious that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Another place it says that we're not ignorant of his devices. 
He has devices. Another passage I'd like to read is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, small g, of course, talking about Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. So you see the battle again. Satan is trying to blind people, but every person that's saved, it's sort of like back when when God said, let there be light, or God said, let there be light. And the light shone in the darkness. And when God saves a soul, the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines to people. And their eyes are opened to Christ, to their sin, to their separation from God, and they're saved. But the God of this world, he is seeking to blind people. So they miss this. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Christ's sake. So you see, he uses lies, he blinds people. Back further, it talks about a veil being over people's eyes when they even hear the word of God. But when those, when that person humbles themselves, when they turn to God, the veil is taken away. This is a, this is a spiritual thing. And so Satan's goal and desire is to blind people and keep them from God. And of course, God's desire is that all men, that no one perish, but all would men and ladies and children would come to repentance and to the acknowledging of Christ. This is the battle. In a hundred years, we'll all know this was the real only battle. Because what would it profit the world? What would it profit if a man gained the whole world but lost his own soul? There's battles been fought over tiny little areas and some countries, just poor, those poor countries, they're real great countries, so they fight over them all the time. But All the entire world can't be compared to one person's soul. And that's the battle. And if we get, and sometimes we as Christians, we can be blinded too from that battle that's really the battle. And we can get caught up in all these other things. But before I get to us, I'll, I'll, I'll just read another passage. Romans chapter one. It is such a clear, I mean, history repeats itself over and over. We read this passage where a nation will turn away from God. North America is such a, we can just use our own history. You could use any country's history. But it says here, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So he's talking about places that have the truth, but they, they turn from it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So no one has an excuse. If you, all the beautiful creation all around us, design of this world, there is no excuse because it screams out God. Because that would, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful 
but became vain in their imaginations or their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So here, they had God. They, they rejected him as God and weren't thankful. And already, they began to believe lies. This is the spiritual battle going. If, if we reject God, even if a nation's been so blessed and they start to reject God, they start to move in a certain direction, downward. And I mean, no one can deny that in history. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Then it moves into idolatry. Now God's not God. There has to be other idols. Wherefore God also gave them up. That is a very, very serious statement. Satan is trying to deceive and pull and take captive. Uh, uh, I'll just just quote another. If you want to look it up, it's in 2 Timothy. It says, A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, able to teach in meekness, instructing instructing others that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and, And it says that God would grant them repentance after we share the gospel with people, that God would grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who's taken them captive at his will. So when someone repents and turns to God, they're pulled out of the the snare and the trap of the devil and brought into salvation with God. That's so, I'm going to get to that verse. We're going to talk about that a bit more later. But this is what happens is that Satan is trying to deceive. But as we turn our backs on God, it says here that God, and, and you see that in nations, and God just takes his hand off somewhat. Because it says here, wherefore God also gave them up. You want this way? I'll give it to you. That is a very scary place as that begins to, and it's, I mean, I'm 55 years old. I can see this totally in my own country that I love so much. So it says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We became, instead of becoming a God-centered nation in, in, in God we trust, one nation under God, man then. That's why humanism and all these, that is against God. Man begins to become top instead of God. And God gives us up to sexual morality. You watch that. North America in the 60s, it was, we even called it that, the sexual revolution. God says, okay. And all the problems that this brings. And it says, who changed the truth? Okay, and for this cause, so there's another step now. God takes his hands off this far. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And so, God says, if you want to go your own way, I will take, I, I will, he, the way he put it, give you up. I don't need to explain to God. I don't want to try to. But he says, I'll give you up. And I'll give you up. Here we see then the next step, not just sexual immorality, but, but homosexuality. 
And it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, like we want him out of everything. They can't take him off some of the walls that they etched the word of God in stone, but they're even doing that. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them, and now there's a different word, God gave them over. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to those things which are not right, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignant whispers, or gossipers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, like family affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is a picture of nations and individuals. When we reject God, The Bible says, he that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. But there's always the mercy of God. I want to, that's kind of heavy, that part, but I'm going to come to the mercy. But this is the battle that you need to know is going on. And the more we reject God, the less power of God we have holding our nation. In the great revivals, you look at North America and if we just knew our history, like the, the northeast United States was where, the United, where North America kind of began. And there was great revivals. But there was times, so many times in the history of, of North America, of the United States, that like during the French Revolution, they, the, Voltaire's teaching was coming in. Darwin's teaching was... They were, they, they, people want this kind of teaching when they want to turn away from God. And so they were trying to attack the, that God was the creator and maker of the earth, that there even was a God. And then Voltaire, that this humanistic uh, enlightenment, he was trying to bring on the people that we can live however we want. And it was starting to take hold, even in the northeast of the United States. It took real hold in Quebec, and, I mean, in, uh, in France, and destroyed France. They got the revolution. The French Revolution was a, was a fruit of these ways of thinking. And it started to seep into Northeast United States, even into the Bible colleges where they, were, where they got to the place where the, these great Bible colleges like Yale and Princeton and Harvard, and they were, they were, there was hardly Christians in them. But God would, would move in power because there was a remnant praying and crying out to God for their nation back then. And God would come in such mighty power that he would transform these areas. It was in the Great Awakening, one quarter of the United States was born again in a, in a six-month period. People turned back to God. And, and they had this thing as if judges had a whole week where they didn't try a case. Before that, you couldn't walk the streets of New York. You couldn't walk the streets of places. Same as in England when before the great moves of God, it was so dangerous. And then they had this thing that they'd give judges white gloves if they didn't try a case all week. And judges would have white. You didn't need to lock your doors. You didn't. When God comes, he brings truth. He brings freedom. And he brings in his power. And he changes first his church, then the communities. And so he would come in power. And, things would, and they had this thing too. The, the, the policemen in those days, remember you hear the, the, four, the quartets? 
Lots of policemen just go around and sing in quartets because they weren't that busy. God does these kind of... You could go on and on and on about these kind of things. But your own personal life. I I know my own personal life. And I could say I was Romans. It was me. I did the same thing. I knew who God was. I saw him change my dad. I I believed there was a God because of what he did. But I rejected him. And I started going deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage. It doesn't matter what bondage. Satan could care less what bondage you're in. But you'll be held with the cords of your own sin. And I was held so tight. And I'd gone the wrong way. But I thank God I had a praying dad and mom and other praying people. And they did spiritual warfare for me. They laid hold of God from my soul. My shield of faith, I don't know where, I don't even know where it was. I didn't have one yet, I guess. I wasn't a Christian, but they held that shield of faith over me. And I can remember like it was yesterday. The first, the first, the beginning of the end of Jeff Gowdy. Sitting in a university uh, class with 600 other people. And a faithful man that was at the front. I don't even know how he didn't get fired. But... I've shared this with some of you, but I'll just, for a very brief moment, he was faithful at the very beginning of this biology class. He shared, I'm going to be teaching the plant body and human body. I'm supposed to be teaching evolution, but it's a farce. He said, I'm going to teach you design. And he gave us a bunch of examples that just blew your mind of design. And then he said this one statement that God used. It was a very, a huge spiritual battle that was won in my own heart. At that moment, all he said was, Where there's design, there has to be a designer. And I'm sitting beside all these guys. I was a very worldly young man. And the tears, I couldn't control the tears. I was so embarrassed that God opened my eyes. And he tore a lie that was trying to work its way into my life because I thought if there's no God, I can live the way I'm living and I shouldn't feel bad about it. But at that moment, I knew there was a God and he created this world. It was a spiritual battle that was won. Nobody knew that God won a battle in my heart right there. And, and so many times we, we think, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. This was a, I wish I could meet him again. I'm sure he's dead by now. But he was faithful. Could have been fired for sure. But it broke my heart. The truth of God's word. With many people praying, the power of God came and spoke to me at that moment. And it began the change of my life going the right way. Then, then a couple of years later, still fighting God all the way through. I'm in a bedroom in my house here in Red Deer, reading the Bible. And God broke in. You, there's no way to explain it other than it was God. People praying, people fasting for you. And the Holy Spirit's power came. And he, took, he ripped the veil. He, he took the blinder off my eyes. And in one moment, I was born again. Changed my life. That's a work of God. God can do that in an individual. And then in, when he does it in an individual, it usually affects a family. God can do that in a nation. But Satan is trying to blind your children and everyone around you. And that's why prayer is so powerful. That's why the word of God is so powerful. Every in, in Romans 6, 
There's lots of armor. And if you notice, none of the armor protects your back. Nothing. We are never on the defensive. Well, we are when he's shooting, but we're never turned our back and run. And so we need to have that armor on at all times and be facing the battle, in the battle. And you're safe. But there's also two weapons. They're the most powerful weapons on earth by there's not even a comparison. The lies that Satan uses are so much more powerful than any bombs or anything like that. We can use bombs to stop evil in a, in a nation, but you don't win hearts. The gospel can transform a nation. Bombs and guns can stop evil, but it's so costly. It has to be done often. But the gospel can transform nations where those nations that were hurting people are now spreading the gospel all over the world. These weapons are so powerful. Like, like Paul's, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. It is taking every thought captive, every imagination, every reasoning captive to the obedience of Christ. The word of God and prayer. And it's not prayer because we can write prayer books and it can be so dead, it's ridiculous. But it's a heart that's right with God, filled with the Spirit, coming to either alone or even more powerful, coming together with other Christians and praying, being led of the Spirit. That is the most powerful. The book of Acts makes it very clear. They came together in one accord and they prayed and God these weak, weak men and other ladies that were there too. The power of God moved and changed that community. And he's done it time after time after time. But see, the weapons of the world, they're powerful. They're, 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 we've got all these weapons behind us now. We've got all these soldiers and we're going to beat this country. You want to be powerful when you're going to fight in this world. But it's so funny, it's opposite in the very powerful realm. We want to be weaker. That's so important. I still remember this guy that was a pastor in Carrot River, Saskatchewan. And we had all these young Bible college kids that would come and pray with us pastors. And you just see these guys growing like crazy, but you'd see they were young, you know, working out like crazy. And the one, I remember sitting at the table after the prayer meeting, we're at this table in this restaurant and the one kid going, yeah, I'm really working my biceps. I'm trying to get them bigger. And my, and they, oh, my chest, I really, I've been maxing out with my, with my bench press. And I still remember Dave, big guy, about my age too, looking at me. He was a powerful man, like in physical. But he just looked over me and the tears started coming down his face. He said, Jeff, I'm just trying to get weaker. I never will forget that. That man had power in prayer. And this power is not from us. It's when we get so weak that we realize, I can't save my kids. I can't change my community. I can't change the lies that are... I watched this movie a little while ago about the sounds of freedom or something. I left that place with tears just coming. I was so angry. I could hardly believe that this was going on in the, a place where we call ourselves civilized or call ourselves Christian nation. It's, it's evil. And there's no way of stopping it except for God. All these people are held by their lies. These lies, they, the lies just get bigger and worse and worse until you wonder, how could anyone believe these? Because we let Satan in. 
and we believe it more and more. And more people are hurt. More people are in bondage. Soon, this nation will be deep into Satanism. Every one of us comes from a, from a background that has had their, our background. I'm Irish and Scottish. Those were totally filled with, with Satan, with, with occult. Every nation has. They'll let, if you get to that place, then the people are in total bondage. And only the gospel can set you free. But we're moving away from that freedom, all this freedom, to bondage. And it's because of lies. And you get to the place where words won't even change it. You can't argue anybody into changing their mind. But remember what we read earlier. This is the, this is the powerful battle. Servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, able to teach in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That's our part. Preach the truth in love. Speak the truth. They say, oh, the Bible. No, the Bible is so powerful. One little piece of a verse can change someone's life. Sometimes it's preached without the power of the Holy Spirit, and it can actually harden people at times. But when the Bible comes alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a sword of the Spirit, and it is powerful. So you share it. Share the gospel. It's the power. It's like in Romans 1. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But it says there, in meekness instructing those that oppose them, if God peradventure will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, if God would open their eyes and they would turn and see him, to acknowledging the truth, that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who's taken them captive at his will. We need to share this book and pray for the power of God's Spirit to open people's eyes. That is the only hope for North America right now. United States was at places, and Canada's been at places where it was at the brink of just going down these roads of lies. And God came. Where I said earlier, where France went into the, the French Revolution, the United States was going that same direction. And then a great revival came and changed the nation, and it became the most powerful nation on earth. But we're moving in the wrong... There's many countries in the world right now moving in the right direction. God's ripping down... You think that some of these, these lies, like that, that, that sex and drugs and alcohol is going to make you happy, those are, that's, a, that's one lie. Or, or if you gamble, or if you, if you just keep chasing money, you're just going to make you happy once you get to some place where I'm not sure where it is. But that, those are carrots that Satan tries to put. Covetousness, lies, or bitterness. I'm just never going to forgive that person. You think that's going to make you happy? That's a total lie from hell. Bitterness is one of the biggest bondages you can be held in. But religious bondage, that's probably the worst of all of them. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these others. I've done this and this and this, and I deserve heaven. These nations where God's tearing down these strong religious uh, strongholds, that is power. But it doesn't matter what, like I said earlier, it doesn't matter what the bondage is, like the, the, the specific it's bondage from him, from the evil one. And he wants everyone set free. You know, you walk down the street and you see the guy drunk in the, in the, in the gutter. And I think that should be me, God. That guy, we say, oh, he's so in bondage. But there could be a guy wearing a three-piece suit, making more money than he could even spend. He's in bondage too. Just like Peter there. Peter was in jail. 
about to be executed. He's sleeping like a baby. He's sleeping so soundly, the angel has to kick him to get him up. Herod couldn't sleep. He never slept because he was in bondage. Peter was absolutely free, and Herod was in total bondage. There's a lot of people wearing three-piece suits that are in total bondage because it's a spiritual battle. And this is the thing that God spoke to me when I watched that movie. I came out so angry. I thought, how could people do this kind of thing to children? And God spoke to me. He said, they're doing what, they're just going the way that, that Satan's taking them off. But where's my church? The church, we have more power than anything in this world because we have God. But we won't humble ourselves. We won't pray. And a lot of us are held by lies. I, I thought of it myself as I left. I was in a prayer meeting this week, and I was leaving the prayer meeting. I thought, boy, that was a great. And while I was driving home, I could hardly drive. The tears were coming down my face so hard. And God showed me some of my pride and some of the areas where I'm putting things ahead of God. It doesn't, if Satan, he's lying to the church too, and if he can keep the church worldly and, and dead, that's even more important to him. And so here we are, oh, look at all those things those people are doing in the world, and God's saying, where's the salt and where's the light? And if we will stop believing these lies and ask God, if you could ask, if everyone in this room could say, Lord, is there lies I'm believing? Is where I'm blinded by my sin or by my own, the Bible says the deceitfulness of sin? Or the, the heart is deceitful? My own heart is deceiving me? Would you open up my eyes? Because Satan wants to blind you too. I don't really have to forgive that Christian. Or I can think in my head these thoughts. I'm not doing them. All these lies. Or I'm going to seek this ahead of God, but nobody will know. God knows. And it's what keeps the church weak so that we can't come into this spiritual battle. We're not in the spiritual battle when, if, if there's, but we need to get in there. Like the sad, one of the saddest, this is the verse we talked about last time. But God desired for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He was looking all over the world. He was looking for the country of Israel, but he couldn't find one. And then he, destroyed, he had to destroy Israel because of their sin, because they were just going in that Romans 1 path, and it's inevitable. We choose it. But this is where I want to challenge you and me. I, the rest was, we do need to pray that God will work in people's hearts and lives and set them free. But before we can do that, even in the Bible, it says, get the beam out of your own eye first. Then take this liver out. Because once we get the beam out, once we deal with our own sin, he can fill us so full of his spirit that we can preach this word with great humility, but great boldness. And then we can come together and pray for the real power. God can do more in a few moments. God can stop any... This is a path that he's promised will go this way. But there's only one that can stop it. And when he steps in, just like I was driving home in that van, God stepped into that van and opened my eyes. Just like I was sitting in that bedroom and God stepped in and opened my eyes. And sitting in that university class, God stepped in and opened my eyes. There's people around us, he's got to step in or they're going to destroy themselves. Or worse yet, they'll just go through their life happy and then in the end, they'll be lost. So yes, we are in a spiritual battle and I'd like to ask myself and you, am I in this battle? 
And am I just happy not to be the guy lying in the gutter? Or my kid never got taken by any child molester and uh, sex tra- trafficker. They're safe. Well, they're, nobody's safe, I don't think. God's the only one that can keep them safe. But we could just say, oh, I don't care. Go to hell, world. Or do we want to step into this battle? And like you said, take up the whole armor of God. And then take the sword of the Spirit and begin to use it. And then begin to pray in the Spirit. That God would move. That God would take the blinders off of people's eyes. Our children, our neighbors, our people we rub the shoulders with. So I just, sometimes we forget. We get so caught up with the battle, the, phys, the, the checkers. And we're just happy with checkers. But there's a huge game going, not game, it's not a game. A huge war going on. And we need to, and we have no power in this war. But the great thing is, is that our God has all the power in this war. And somehow he looks for a weak heart a heart that's totally abandoned to him, totally surrendered to him, totally trusting in him, and says, I can't trust in anything of myself or anything else. I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to come to you in prayer. And I often think of that. If somebody that didn't know about God came into a prayer meeting, they think, these are a bunch of idiots. What are you wasting your time for? When really that place is the most powerful place on earth, when hearts are right. Because he said, when everything goes bad, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. And when he hears from heaven, that's a very good thing. And I'll forgive their sin and I'll hear the land. But he's looking for somebody to stand in that gap. For some reason, he lets us into this battle. But we got to get in the battle. And it, you get into the battle through weakness. The other ones, you, you got to be strong to get into these armies. This one, you got to be weak. You're too strong still, like Gideon. This, this army's too big still because you, could try to, you, you guys could try to take my glory. But it's when you come together and you do something to the world and say, that's stupid to stay, spend all that time in prayer. Well, it is stupid if your heart's not right with God. It actually is stupid. But when we get humble ourselves before God and, and, and ask God to cleanse our hearts, and then we come to God and pray, that's when God can change things. Because our nation is in big trouble. We can blind ourselves to that too. But we're moving in a fast way down. But it, that salt and the light has got to humble ourselves and cry out to God together. And you guys are doing that. I know you are. And so I'm so thankful. But I'd really encourage you to believe God. Believe him. Say, God, would you search my heart? Would you show me my blind, area, blind areas? And help me to pray. Help me to come together with others to pray for, for this neighborhood, for this families, for this church. So I just, I just wanted to remind you, because I was, I was so mad, and the Lord just rebuked me. Stop being mad at everybody else. That's probably why a lot of the world sometimes doesn't even, we're just mad at everybody, because this is, this is just what's happening. It's, it's just the way it will go every time. But we've got to stop that, this bitterness, and get on our knees and, have, and ask God to fill us with compassion and fill us with boldness to say what's what, too. You've got to say, speak the truth in love. That's powerful. So I'll just, I'll just close in prayer. I hope I didn't go too long here. 
Dear Lord, I just want to thank you so much for these dear people here in this place. And I just love every chance I get to share with them because I, I know their hearts are so towards you. But just like me, they probably have to be reminded too at times that this is a very, very serious spiritual battle that goes on. And there's powers that are involved that we could never stand against. But Lord, you can. We, we love those ver When the enemy comes in like a flood, Lord, your spirit can stand, set up a standard against him. And he has to run. In your presence, Lord, there's freedom. You can set the captives free. He can hold them, but you, you, he has no say when you decide to set him free. You are so much more powerful than our enemy, Lord. And we thank you that we serve the living God, the Almighty. We say with that angel, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And you're our Father. And we come before you, Lord. And we, we ask you to forgive us with all your power. We're weak and, and cold and dead. And so often just we have sin that we're being deceived in. And we're holding on to it. So Lord, I pray that you'd first start in our hearts. Open up our eyes. Like Paul prayed for the church there in Ephesians, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. I pray that ours would be too. That our eyes would be open to our, any of our sin in our life that's separating us from you, from real power and, and fellowship. But also open up our eyes to our own sin, to who and who you are and how powerful you are. Like you said, that we might know what is that your, your exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe. And that we'd also have our eyes open to those who are held in bondage like we were. Lord, please just open our eyes. Take those blinders off, Lord. Open the eyes of this city. That we, like that hymn, that we might see Jesus. High and lifted up. So Lord, we just cry out to you. I pray that this church would become one that is tremendous soldiers for you in the area of prayer and your word and the gospel and bless them and use them. I say, pray as they move to that inward, inner part of the city, this place of Normando, that place of downtown, that your spirit would just be poured out and many, many people will come to know and love you in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.